0: You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA
1: in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love.
0: We're going to head into scripture together, and Greg is reading for us this morning. We're going to read a couple different places in Genesis 17.
1: When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you, and you will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful, and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him.
0: Thanks, Greg. Well, giving a name to someone is a special thing, whether it's a pet or it's a person. Giving a name is a great responsibility. Giving a nickname is meaningful, too and a little bit the lighter side of the equation to come up with that. I never had a nickname growing up. I think people had a hard enough time with my first name. So I, I was always bummed about that, and now I feel like I get to live vicariously a little bit by giving the Y kids and students names as we spend time together, especially in student ministry. If I ever give your kid a name that they don't like or they don't appreciate, like Lando, so that's one of my favorites. You just have to let me know and I can move on. <laughs> but I wonder, I thought we'd have some fun this morning and do like a little quiz around nicknames and see if you know some of these. I've got three categories that I picked and we'll start with this one. So I'm going to say the nickname and you can feel free to just say it out loud if you know the answer. We'll start easy, I think. Honest Abe. Yes, Abraham Lincoln. Tricky Dick. Yes, Richard Nixon. Ike. Eisenhower. Okay. Maybe the hardest one in this list. Old Hickory. Did I hear it? Andrew Jackson. All right. Very good. Now, next category is music. The king of pop. Michael Jackson. The queen of pop. Madonna. Sound about right? That was at least what the internet told me. Sounded familiar. How about, depending on your age, you'll know this one The Boss. Bruce Springsteen, yep. We'll go into a little bit more modern times. Riri. Rihanna. Queen B. Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. We came right into your generation, Ariane. Alright, now this one is a little older and a little trickier. Slow hand. Who was known as Slow Hand? Eric Clapton. Very good. Yep. All right, last category. We'll go to sports. The Great Bambino. Babe Ruth. The Great One. Wayne Gretzky. The Flying Tomato. This is more like extreme sports variety. Remember the Olympics? Sean White. My wife Esther met him at the airport in Los Angeles one day. Sean White. How about this one? Black Mamba. Kobe Bryant. And last one. Prime Time, Deion Sanders. Now he just goes by Prime, Coach Prime. And they had a humiliating loss yesterday if you watch college football. So nicknames can be a lot of fun, but names are really important. Have you ever tried to imagine if you had a completely different name? It's almost weird to wrap your brain around if, if John wasn't John, but he was, you know, had a totally different name. Because name is so closely connected to identity. Or maybe, I recognize that this morning, maybe you really wish you had a different name. That can happen too, for any number of reasons. Maybe you feel like your name comes with baggage or parts of your story that you didn't wish you had. Maybe how you relate to your name is complicated. Today we come to the significant story in the life of Abraham. It has to do with his name. And in the next few minutes, I want to show you what it meant that God gave him a new name. And the hope and perspective that that gives to us about our own life. So that's the plan for today. Genesis 17, we read this opening verse. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Now, how people looked at 99 years old in the early Bible times is a bit of a mystery. In Genesis, people lived a lot longer. Certainly in early Genesis, even hundreds of years longer than we're accustomed to. And then what happens over time is that comes down to what we would consider a normal lifespan. How and why that happened is a topic for another day, but it is an interesting one. What's significant for us to see is that it's been 13 years since where we left off just last week in the chapter before, chapter 16. It's been 13 years since Ishmael was born to Hagar. This means that Abram has been waiting for 13 years without any further word from God. So, was God away during that time? Was he tending to other things? Was Abram just off his radar for a little while? No, not at all. But we recognize we can definitely feel that way when we don't feel like we're hearing from God. And we have to walk by faith. Thirteen years of radio silence. And all Abram had to go on was that word from chapter 16 that he and Sarai would still have a child of their own someday. And I wonder, how do you think Abram felt those thirteen years as his birthday would come around every time? I just imagine him, you know, sitting there looking at all those birthday candles on his cake and uh, just thinking to himself, you know, where is God? Where's his voice? Why haven't I heard from him? And he's looking over at his wife, Sarai, still waiting to have a baby. We're just kind of filling in the gaps here, but I don't think those were easy birthdays. And so maybe some of you are waiting to hear from the Lord. Maybe as you hear this text this morning, for you it's like year 12, and you're still waiting. And I want to encourage you this morning with the testimony of all of Scripture to continue to wait on the Lord. I don't know if it'll be year 13, 14, 15, but it's worth the wait. He hasn't left you. He's with you, even when you cannot hear His voice. So 13 years of silence for Abram. That's what he was in, waiting to hear the Lord. And then, I don't know, I suppose it was a day like any other day. He woke up, and that was the day when he heard God speak again. God says, I am God Almighty. And I put the name in brackets that appears in Hebrew. It's the name El Shaddai. So God says, I am El Shaddai. And it's the first time that God uses this name for himself. It's used 48 times in the Old Testament. In this instance, Genesis 17.1 is the very first time. Now, most of the Hebrew names we can trace, and we know what they mean. We know what the Hebrew means. This one's unique because that's been lost to us. So we don't know what El Shaddai means except by kind of building a case through its usage and its context. And when we do that, we see it has something to do with God's majesty and His power. Some of you might remember there was a song in the 80s by Amy Grant called El Shaddai anybody recognize that song? I see a few yes so I debated if I should sing these lines or just speak them <laughs> we should have Katie Vick has a beautiful voice but I won't put you on the spot Katie <laughs> so it goes El Shaddai El Shaddai El Yana Adonai age to age you're still the same by the power of the name so you can google it later listen it's a beautiful song And Amy Grant got it right. That really fits the the words around it, too. And therefore, the English Bible says, I am God Almighty, because it's emphasizing His power and His majesty. And then God gives Abram this two-part instruction. He says, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. To walk before God means to live and move openly before Him. And I was just thinking in my own life, some of you can maybe relate to this or times past, have you ever caught your kid like sneaking around the house doing something they should not be doing? <laughs> and, and you come around the corner and they might try to take off and just whoosh, whisk away into another room. This is not that. That's the opposite of what's described here. This means to live and move openly before him. I got nothing to hide. And especially to live in a way that would seek God's favor and his approval. So God is calling Abram to lead a righteous and holy life. In our non-religious terms, we would say to be different. To not be like the rest of the crowd, but to walk with God and to live in his presence. And then the second part comes, to be blameless. The word there literally means perfect. To be perfect to live without fault. And this is a theme that gets picked up in key places throughout the rest of the Bible. We think of the line from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount where he said, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So a lot of parts of the Sermon on the Mount get quoted. That one not as often, I think, because it's daunting. And someday we could look at that passage in detail and unpack it. That would be worth doing. But I think Klaus Westerman gets the sentiment when he says... Belonging to God is in proper order only when it is without reservation and unconditional. That's what God is calling Abram to. Walk before me faithfully and belong to me without reservation. And then God gives Abram this reminder in verse 2. He says, Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And a key word in that line is the word covenant that we we have to grapple with or we really will struggle to understand Abraham's story and much of the rest of the Bible. And it's tricky for us because we don't use the word covenant a whole lot in everyday English, so it can be fuzzy. So here's a brief definition. In the Bible, a covenant is a sacred agreement between two people or between God and people that is bound by certain promises. And in the Bible, we have five key covenants. The first one was with Noah. The second one is with Abraham. And then comes Moses, David, and Jesus bringing the new covenant. So with Abraham, God first uses the word covenant in chapter 15 we looked at a couple weeks ago when he has Abraham look up at the stars. So we're familiar with the word. We've seen it before. But the whole thought has been there since chapter 12 when God calls Abram. And he gives him this promise that's going to involve four things. Land, offspring, or we'd say children, descendants. Thirdly, a blessing upon Abram and his descendants. And fourth, a blessing on all the other people groups, all other nations through Abraham's descendants. Now, As you can see in this verse, the focus that God has here is the promise of offspring, children. And God says, I will greatly increase your numbers. And by way of application, if you are facing tough odds in your life right now, if there is something where you are thinking, this is almost impossible for this to turn around or for this to be different or for this to happen, I want you to take heart by the example of Abraham. God tells Abraham at the age of 99 that he will greatly increase his number. Well Abraham's hearing this may be thinking, well, the only thing I've been watching increase is my age. He hasn't heard from God in 13 years. He has lived in the promised land for 24 years, and he is still waiting for the fulfillment of these promises. And yet here comes a fresh reminder that says, "Abraham, the time is almost here. Don't give up. I'm faithful." So the next set of verses in 3 to 5, Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. So there it is, the big name change. At age 99, I bet he had a hard time changing his signature after that. <laughs> I have such a late name change. Now to change a name in the Bible carries this significance. When it happens, it is meant to change a person's status or their circumstances. And to give a name or to change someone's name means you have the authority to do so. So we have a few instances in the Bible of people doing this. God gives Adam the task of naming the animals in the garden. And we have kings who institute name changes over their conquered subjects, So Pharaoh changes Joseph's name, Nebuchadnezzar changes Daniel's name and the names of his three friends, and there are other examples. But the most significant name changes are given by God. Abraham and Sarah at the top of the list, but later in Genesis, we'll see God change Jacob's name to Israel. And then we come into the New Testament, and Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter. So here in this story, Abram, the name that he had been given at birth, means exalted father, which is actually a reference to his father, Terah, and it means Abram is exalted with respect to his father, is what that means, that he comes from a distinguished lineage of noble birth. In changing his name to Abraham, God is using a word play, or what we might call a sound play. He takes Abram, and he shifts it to Abraham. And Abraham, for a Hebrew speaker, reminded them instantly of Abhamon, which means father of a multitude. And this name change is a reminder of God's covenant promise. From here on out, every time Abraham hears it. God says to Abraham in verse 6, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. Now, the last piece is new. Abraham hadn't heard that before. So previously, yeah, he'd heard fruitful, yes. Descendants, yes. A nation, yes. But that kings will come from his line is something that God is adding in this moment. And we see God doing this. Really, ever since chapter 12, it's like every time God comes to remind Abram, he's notching up the promise in just how amazing it will be. So now this word is extended to Sarah, starting in verse 15. God says, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Here it is. Kings of people will come from her. So Abraham looks across the breakfast table at his 90-year-old wife. It hardly makes any sense. God is still planning on making her a mother? And I'll remind you of where we were last week, how Abraham and Sarah had taken matters into their own hands, and Sarah had given her servant Hagar to Abraham to produce a kind of surrogate heir, like a a surrogate child of the promise. And if you missed last week or you're unfamiliar with the story, you might might be thinking, they did what? What? You just have to go back and read chapter 16 or you listen to the message. Abraham and Sarah got tired of waiting and what they did is they resorted to an acceptable social custom to produce, to manufacture God's promise. But that'll never work. It didn't then and it won't now. There is no shortcut to waiting on the Lord. So here at age 99... Abraham hears from God again. And the words that he hears are almost too wonderful to comprehend. Verse 17, Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? So he's 99 now. He's thinking to the century mark when the baby will be born. Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? Now, it can be hard to understand tone in written text. You know that, right, from receiving emails or text messages where you're like, how did this person mean this? So we kind of have to put an interpretive lens on it and we'd ask ourselves, well, was Abraham laughing in a disrespectful, unbelieving kind of way? You could see that, right? You could read it that way. Or was he laughing out of just sheer joy and amazement at what God has said? You could read it either way. I think one of the clues is that it begins with Abram falling face down in reverence before the Lord. So I think that option's more likely, that it was worshipful. Plus, we see he's not reprimanded by God for laughing, like Sarah will be in the very next chapter. But as for Abraham, I think in this moment he is just amazed and overjoyed, and yet... Human like the rest of us, he cannot keep himself from verse 18. I think this is such an interesting line. And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Ishmael was the son that was born to Hagar, who's now 13 years old. And Abraham cannot help himself from going back to what could have been or what might still be even though it had been outside of God's plan. And I just wonder, as I reflected on my own life, I'm going to ask you the same question. Do you think that you have some prayers that you keep going back to or some thoughts that you keep going back to that start with these two words? If only. God, if you would only do this. If you would only do that. It's so hard for us to let go of our self-will. And what we think is best. It is hard, especially in the waiting, to let God be God. But here's the point that Abraham missed. Why settle for an Ishmael when you could have an Isaac? God, in his grace, will not let Abraham settle. He has something better. So here's verse 19. We're almost done with the story. Then God said... Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will surely bless him. And isn't that so like God? You know, here Abraham and Sarah had been the ones who cooked up this plan to begin with to have Ishmael. And yet God does not cast off Ishmael. Ishmael does not live under God's curse, but God in his mercy will bless Ishmael too. And some of you were intrigued last week, I had at least a couple folks follow up and ask more about Ishmael and this connection, even with current events that are going on in the world. And so I did a little digging, I have a book to recommend for you if you'd like to read further, it's called Ishmael in the Shadow of Israel. God's prophetic plan for Abraham's firstborn. It's by Tony Malouf, a wonderful, well respected scholar who is an Arab Christian, an Arab follower of Jesus. So Ishmael will have his place both then and now in the plans of God. God's blessing will also rest on Ishmael, but that does not change the promise that God originally spoke to Abraham and Sarah and that he reiterates here in verse 21. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Isaac means laughter. So here that comes around from earlier. Sarah means princess or queen, a woman of high rank. And Abraham means Father of a multitude. So, what's in a name? What's the significance of a name? The significance of your name? It turns out a whole lot. I want to close with this story that I heard recently. During one of Alexander the Great's conquests, he and his army were engaged in a serious battle to take over more land from a region. But unlike other battles, this time one of his soldiers did what was absolutely forbidden and defected from his ranks at the battlefront. He was filled with the certainty of death, this young soldier, and so he fled the fighting. After the battle, the man was tracked down. He was detained and forced to wait for what he knew would be an awful meeting with his commander. After the battle this coward was brought to Alexander the Great into his tent and forced to stand before this glorious leader. While barely able to lift his own head, the soldier was trembling before his general and he was awaiting what he was sure would be condemnation, perhaps even death. And Alexander the Great finally broke the silence and he said in his confident voice, "'Soldier, why did you run?' And the statement kind of hung in the air. The man finally forced out these words and he said, Sir, I left because I was afraid. The next words out of Alexander's mouth almost pierced the man as he heard them. Instead of pronouncing his death, Alexander pronounced his pardon. And he said to this man, shaking like a leaf, Soldier, what is your name? And the soldier bowed his head in shame, barely able to admit it, that his name was also Alexander. Upon hearing this, Alexander the Great looked at this young soldier and he said, Then you will either have to change your character or you will change your name. In almost a beautiful reversal of that story, God reaches into ours and does for us what we could never do for ourselves, And he gives us a new name. I don't know how you relate to your name. Whether it's something you are proud of or feels normal to you. Or whether it's more complicated than that. But I do know this from this story. That we serve a loving and faithful God who even if you feel he is silent in this season, sees you, loves you, and calls you by name. You belong to him. Let's bow in prayer together. Lord, we thank you that we can open this book and hear words of life. Lord, that you lift our eyes to you. You meet us in our shame, Lord, in our embarrassment, in our failure. And you set our eyes on you, the one whose name is above every other name, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I thank you, Lord, that you see where each one of us is at this morning, the things that weigh on us, the story that we're in, the help that we need. And you speak words of life and words of promise. Lord, we thank you that through Jesus, our dignity and our name is restored as your beloved children. We praise you and honor you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, Check us out online at theychurch.org.